U.S. livestock markets were scrambled by the coronavirus. Policymakers, industry, even the president have taken direct action to shore up the food system. But what can producers do now to adapt to this fast-changing reality? That's today on Field Posts. is a weekly podcast by DTN Progressive Farmer that dives deeper into the most important trends in technology, policy, and management to explore ag's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. We're launching field posts in the midst of a global pandemic, one that's had a tremendous impact on the U.S. meat sector, from pork, poultry, and cattle producers all the way through the supply chain to the grocery store. Today, we're going to discuss what's really driving market prices as the coronavirus continues to impact workers and facilities across the country, what the coming weeks and months might hold, and how producers are and could be reacting and adapting to a crisis that currently has no end in sight. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by DTN Six Factors. There are a lot of opinions and theories about how to look at commodity markets. DTN Six Factors simplifies issues for busy farmers like you to cut through the noise and get to the most important details driving market directions. This methodology is included in the My DTN solution. It blends technical and fundamental analysis best practices to deliver easy to understand charts and pragmatic recommendations for futures and cash marketers of all levels. Learn more at DTN.com. DTN Shaylee Stewart has a front row seat to the meat market impacts of COVID-19 from her home in northwestern Wyoming, where she watches from her perspective as progressive farmers livestock analyst, but also as a rancher herself. I grew up in southern Montana on a cow, calf, and hay operation, and that's really where my roots began and where they and where they stem from, and that's where my heart will always be. It'll be in Montana. But now my husband and I, we run a seed stock operation in northern Wyoming, and um, we're in this just as much as anybody else is. We've got um, calves to sell in the fall, as everybody else does in regards to steers. We have a we have an annual bull sale, which is greatly affected by the market, and then and then it's also affected by how our how our customers are able to fare in this marketplace. So not only do Jimmy and I have to market our, our, our steers in the fall as everybody else does, but then we also have to wonder how our customers are going to fare through this because guess what? If they're getting lower calf prices, it is a really, it's a big mental game and that they start to wonder how they're going to be able to, to afford and pay for genetics and whatnot. So um, that's our story. We run a Sim Angus operation in Northern um, Wyoming and that's where we call home now. The deep levels of uncertainty in beef and really meat markets across the board are being driven by the bottleneck in the supply chain at the packer processor level. Dozens of processing facilities across the country have been running on limited capacity and are temporarily or indefinitely closed due to COVID-19 outbreaks among their employees. These health and safety concerns for workers are creating immense pressure in both directions of the supply chain, 
and Shaylee believes this could have long-term impacts on the way the sector operates going forward. So a lot of the, the folks that work at the processing houses are um, immigrant workers. And, and so obviously they're feeling the crunch right now from COVID-19 as well, because some of them aren't able to come and work as they, as they usually have because of um, the restrictions of COVID-19 and travel bans. Um, then, then you look at the housing in which those individuals live in, and sometimes there's multiple families in a two-bedroom apartment, and, and you see how um, diseases can spread within those environments easily and, and quickly. And so as, as packing plants look at coming, coming back online and processing, I do think that there's going to be a lot of ramifications. And you know what? It's not that they don't want to be processing right now, because I mean, if you look at box beef prices, I, to be quite honest, you know, we, we keep very, we, we watch those prices realistically down to the dollar, down to the cent, down to the penny, and we keep very close tabs on them because it's important. And you know what, we, we have it on a, on a sheet where it tells you the, the last, um, the biggest, the biggest advancements made one day and how, and how those prices have jumped historically over time. And you know what, within the last basically month, we've, we've, I chuckle at this a little bit because producers have almost gotten tired of seeing box beef prices jump and rally. And so that just lets you know that that packers want to be processing because they have money to be made hand over fist right now, given the fact that, you know, box beef prices have jumped over, you know, $3.50. It's absolutely crazy right now. And so they want workers to come to work. They want to process cattle. They want to process hogs. They want to make those, they want to make that money that's on the table that, that margins are allowing right now, because guess what? Money is profitability. And guess what? In business, that's what you go after and that's what you make. Um, there obviously will be long-term ramifications of this because our industry never wants to see something like this happen again. It has never happened before. And it is quite honestly, affected us far more than we ever assumed. I mean, when we first heard about COVID-19 in, in the early in the early days of January, you know, we just kind of put that as a, that's a problem that China has and we're okay. It's not affecting us right now. Well, it's come full circle and it's become something that's a problem on our home front. And so as, as packing plants look to increase their efficiency and protect themselves from this type of disaster again, I can promise you that they're going to be taking into consideration how they can protect not only their workers, but their profitability, profitability through this. And that will be deterring things like this to happen again. It's been just days since the president used his Defense Production Act authorities to empower USDA to keep meatpacking plants open in the face of a trend of closures. I asked Shaylee about how the market reacted and how that reaction squared with her expectations. It's really hard to look at these matters and say it's good or it's bad, it's black and it's white because there's so many different sides and there's so many different angles and it affects the industry in more than one way. So first and foremost, I think that it was an absolute saving grace to our industry because right now the beef, the pork and the chicken industries are all crippled from the fact that, that meat processing plants are not able to run as they need to. Now, that comes as a little bit of a twofold, though, part next, because number one, regardless if President Trump opened up and declared, you know, um, executive order on that and, and said that the plants are going to be open, we still have to have qualified folks in there 
cutting the meat, processing the meat, grating the meat, even though some of that can be done through camera and, and technology, we still need people healthy in there. So, so there's still that fact that we have to get workers to the plant and to work the plant, which can be a problem in these times. But then second of all, in regards to the market's reaction, which might be maybe the biggest disappointment in there, but we have to understand that that's not because the president didn't set out a, a great platform, but rather because we've been dealing heavily now for about three to four, going on to five weeks now, Sarah, that plants have been operating at a minimal, at a minimal, um, processing speed. And so their kills have been, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, just last week alone, their kills were around that 70,000 head when on a good day, we expect to see around 120, 122,000 head of cattle process each and every day. So when we're backing up those processing plants and only processing a fraction of the cattle in which we need to, what the industry calls being current, it becomes a very big problem. And so being current is basically saying the cattle that are ready to be processed today, are, are they getting processed? And that becomes a big issue because as we roll into summer and the longer it takes us to get these plants up and running at the speeds at which they historically have been, we continue to have cattle that were ready to go to processing two, three weeks ago, they're sitting in feedlots, continuing to gain weight, continuing to wait for their shackle space. And that backs up our industry, which then also affects the cattle that are ready consequently this week. So unfortunately, the market couldn't react in an extremely bullish way just because we have a backlog that we're going to have to work through. And that's nobody's fault. It's just the situation in which the market is in. That backlog creates a sort of barrier to bullishness, despite really any policy interventions, Shaley says, because no matter how things may be improving, there's going to be a lag in any policy's positive effects because of the sheer amount of animals waiting in the line. Plus, Shaley says it's a particularly difficult time of year to be dealing with this kind of backlog. Typically, May is our biggest grilling month. And so a lot of people are headed to the retail counter, they're grabbing meat packages, they're throwing out their lawn chairs, and they're wanting to eat beef, they're wanting to be social and celebrate. So we're in a really, we're in a predicament right now. And it's more than a predicament, we're in a crisis because we have the cattle that we need to supply the consumers that want the meat, but we're not able to successfully push them through the system. And so the one saving grace through this all is that um, the summer months are when fat cattle prices unfortunately become the softest simply because they're really hard to feed They're It's hard to process because it becomes too hot. So thankfully we don't have a lot of cattle that we really market in the heat of summer, though it's, though it's still, though it's still some. So thankfully through the summer, we'll be able to start to work on that backlog of cattle. And hopefully by the time we hit fall, we'll be worked and processed through them. I mean, if, if you take 121,000 head of which we're kind of, that's our, that's our usual speed. And, and you take what we've currently been processing around that 75,000 head, that's around 56,000 head a week that we're backed up. So if you take that over a month, time, that's an additional 200,000 head of cattle that we need to process that are backed up. So the real question, Sarah, will be when do plants come back on at full capacity and how long will it take to not only um, process the backup, the supply that's built up over this time, but then also continue to process the cattle that were scheduled to be ready right now. But I will say in that, it was very interesting. My The the gentleman in who my folks sell their cattle to, I, I call him quite often and just pick his brain to see what's going on in the countryside. And so my mom and dad, they sold their calves last October. He had them in the feedlot, was feeding them. They were doing great. And they were, they were scheduled to be killed in May. 
he has now backed them up and put them on basically a maintaining ration to now kill them in August. And he is not the only one that has done this. He's seen the tragedy of the market. He's seen the tragedy of the industry and said, you know what, I'm not playing that game. I'm going to hopefully defer my cards a little bit. And I'm going to push those cattle to August to where I hope that we've maybe worked through that backlog and to where we can process those cattle at a better price and at a more efficient speed. But waiting is not a good solution either. Feeding cattle is expensive, but the extra input of feed won't likely pay off in terms of extra premium at slaughter. In fact, for many producers, they're likely to have increased issues with quality in the coming months. Absolutely, because cattle are a lot harder to obviously feed and fatten and, and kill than something as of hogs. You know, they've got they've got a short turnaround, whereas cattle, it takes six to eight months to feed and process. And once you put them, once you once you kind of get to the end of the line for them and you have them on a hot ration, if you back them up, you know, we all are current with um problems of cutability where we're, uh, we know that there's problems with the meat becoming stale and then becoming soft in their flesh. And, and so from a cutability standpoint, yeah, we do worry about how those carcasses are going to yield and grade. And, and, and unfortunately, that's going to affect consumers as well as they seek and demand high quality meat. Now, granted, the meat quality is still there. It just might not be the cut in which the feedlots were hoping to get or the grade in which feedlots were hoping to get as they've now got more time and, and, it's, and they've not been able to hit their ideal market window. For many producers, the financials make waiting out the backlog impossible. With help from processors, the most cost-efficient option for some is euthanizing market-ready stock. I asked Shaylee what she thinks the long-term implications of that choice might be for markets. You know what? We live in a, in a world now today where we are all connected and we have multiple platforms of social media. And so, you know what? Let's just let's just hit the, the elephant in the room and talk about the pictures that you've seen of euthanized. I, I've seen pictures of euthanized hogs and piles. And you know what? I want to be very careful about how we approach this conversation because there's a lot of different ways and angles in which it can either be used and we can talk about the, the absolute heartache that it bears to our industry and then also the the ramifications that'll last a long time for people that necessarily don't have our best interest at mind. And so number one, that the simple images that you've seen on Facebook of, of hogs being euthanized, that tells you how bad the industry is right now. The simple fact that 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 feedlots don't have the availability to market their animals as they need to is a severe problem. And you know what? I, I don't want to hear for one instance that it's not it's it doesn't pull on people's heartstrings because you know what? This is their livelihood. It's not a, a commodity. And, and I actually talked to a green guy last week and he's like, you know, euthanizing hogs is a whole lot different than just going ahead and pouring corn on the ground because it's got eyes, it's got a heart and it beats. And so, you know what, when those guys go out there and they make those type of decisions, it's not because they are, they're ugly or they, they're not heartfelt or because they don't have a conscience. It's because that is the market ramifications that they are suffering and that they are enduring right now. And unfortunately, that's where they're financially pushed to. Because we also have to realize that as we continue to trudge through these times and we are presented with, you know, feedlots not being able to get rid of the stock that they have readily available, it costs money to continue to feed them and at which point makes them unprofitable. Not because they not because they don't have a great a great product to market, but because they're having to put more time and more inputs into those animals. So you know what? As as we look at you, you talked about pork, you talked about chicken and you talked about cattle. You know what? It it is very concerning because 
basically uh, we, we've backed our, our producers up against the wall and not given them many options. And you know what? They're handling it the best as they can right now. This crisis has brought to the forefront for some the limited options that are often available for selling livestock in the market. It's a reminder that extreme efficiency does come with some costs. It's led to increased discussion in recent weeks, especially on social media, of the need for more small and independent processors that might be able to respond with more agility in the face of future crises. Shaylee says COVID has highlighted the need for diversity in processing. I think that through this, people are becoming a lot more aware that they're going to have to maybe think about being a little bit more independent and, and thinking about how they market their product. And so like, for example, I just saw that yesterday, the Fort Pier livestock uh, processing plant came back on. And you know what, they're only processing, like I think I saw that the article stated that they're only processing around 35 head a day, but they hope to get up to around 70 head a day. And you know what, I think that the more of those plants that we have, the better. Because if people are able to market on a local basis and able to process on a local basis, that puts more jobs in your communities. It helps people become aware of where their meat is coming from. And you know what, it creates more competition in the marketplace. In a nearly $2 trillion CARES Act package, Congress authorized USDA to create a program that supports producers impacted by current market disruptions. Shaley says she's optimistic about that aid for producers, but is concerned that broader support for all players in the sector will be needed to get things back to normal as soon as possible. I love that the USDA has stepped up and is helping farmers and ranchers right now because they absolutely need it. Farmers and ranchers don't sit around and look for handouts. They don't want handouts and truth be told, subsidies don't come around unless the market's broken. And so, you know what, given the fact that farmers and ranchers are saying, you know what, we need something right now tells you how bad things are. The last CARES Act that came out, I was a little disappointed in simply because because you know it was really framed around the smaller producer, which I myself am a small producer in the grand scheme of things. So I'm not dissing on small producers on any fashion, but it really, it really, um, it isolated the larger feedlots. And so in that, basically, as we think about our supply chain and as we think about the industry and the market and the bind that we're in right now, we have cow-calf producers, we have backgrounders, we have feedlots, we have packers, and then we have the retail and then we have the consumer. So the problem in that is that when we have different size, when we have different segues of the industry and how it's a chain and how it really flows from cow-calf producer to feedlot to packer to retailer, we need all of those pieces of the industry to work fluently so that everyone can can work as they should. And the problem that I had with the last report is that it really left out the feedlots. And you know what? You might say, well, they'll take care of themselves. Guess what? They're not the cow-calf producer. They're not hurting. Okay. You know what? They are hurting. They are hurting just as bad as the cow-calf producer right now because they are sitting on cattle that they are having to feed for longer and their prices, I mean, they're looking at the board right now and they're saying fat cattle bring less than a dollar. You can't tell me they're not hurting. So I really hope that um, I know this is going to be spun in a couple different ways and and, and, co and come in different relief packages. I really hope that the next time that a relief package comes out, it's, it's framed around the feedlot so that they can um, be helped and guided through this as well. Congress is back in session and states and industries are slowly trying to find a way back to normal operations. But the defining feature of the coming weeks and likely months will continue to be uncertainty. It's mentally challenging not to become overwhelmed by that uncertainty. But Shaylee says when she's thinking about her operation, striving to put emotion aside and staying focused on an analytical and unbiased perspective is key.
when I am at work and I am looking at the markets and my job is to be analytical, to be unbiased and to look at the markets and to help people understand what could affect them. And so I look at the markets and I basically try to um, deter anything that might be unimportant, over-dramatized. And it's really hard to take the emotion out of the marketplace, which I talk about so often because emotion doesn't drive good, good movements. You know, anything, I, I love how Brett Crosby says, any big movement gets overdone, whether it's high or low. And I feel like we're kind of in the realms of that right now as, as we continue to see prices drop lower, but box beef prices soar higher. And then we have this slug of fat cattle that we realistically can't do anything with. And so, you know what, you do go through all those emotions of, hey, you know what, I, I thought that we got excited when box beef prices went higher. Well, you know what we do, but right now when they're going higher because we have a, a limited supply of, of readily available meat to go to the counter, we can't get excited over that right now because it's 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 not a true market. And then when we see fat cattle selling for less than a dollar, that's a pretty big gut punch if I've ever endured one myself. So as we look at short term, and then in the near future and then long term, there, there's a lot of things that you have to weigh. And I think the most difficult is that none of us know exactly when this is going to end. None of us know when the bottom will be hit. And you know what? If somebody did tell you they did know, then I, I would think that they would be a very wealthy person because there's a lot of people that would love to know that information. But quite honestly, it's it's hard to it's hard to talk about that because there's so much that can change as we've realized in the last two months. But as we as we look at the grand picture, and let's kind of just hit on a few high points, we know that we have a highly desired product. Beef is sought and it is requested and it is demanded. I mean, given the simple fact that people are still buying it at the price that it is right now is a testament to what it's worth. You know, and I know that a lot of folks are worried about what the calf market is going to do this fall because, you know, what we've, we've gone from the extremes of there's going to be a protein shortage to, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do with these backlog fat cattle? Are they going to affect the market coming forward? I talked to a gentleman who is one of my sources and I, and I call regularly. He's a feeder. He sells fat cattle and they actually run some cows in Montana as well. And he said, you know what, Shaylee, do you remember that fire last last fall at the packing plant when the market completely lost its ever loving mind? and people were panicking and we didn't know how anything was going to happen. And I said, yeah, of course I do. I, I mean, nobody can forget that. He said, you know what the worst thing was? What cattle, what cow-calf producers have the tendency to do more times often than not. They said, whenever the market gets into a panic or a fury, they look at their assets and like liabilities. And so I'll say that again. Cow-calf producers have a tendency to look at their assets like liabilities. And you know what? That's that's a really interesting concept to get your mind wrapped around because you know what, guys? I know that you have calves that you're kicking out to grass right now. And I know that you're scared that they're not going to be worth anything. But given the right time and given the right opportunity, those are not liabilities that are out in your field. Those are assets. And so you're absolutely right. You might have to change your marketing plan. You might have to change your marketing strategy. And you might have to market those cattle at a different weight, a different time, what have you. But I can promise that this will end and that this will get better. And so given the right time, you will be able to market accordingly. But being strategic in the face of uncertainty isn't exclusively about avoiding bad knee-jerk decisions, Shaley says. It's also about staying attentive to the possible opportunities. She's optimistic that this could be a seminal moment for the U.S. meat sector, and that taking some time to focus on the big picture right now could have huge positive ramifications for the future. I do not think that there has ever been a point in time 
time in my existence when there has been more watchful eyes on the cattle industry than there are right now. And so if there are things that folks and producers and associations want changed, now is the time to do it. And you know what, let's let's just not even talk about those those topics because you know what, there's a there's a lot that you can go into. You can go into the 3014 um, mandatory mandate mandated cash cattle trade. You could go into mandatory cool. You know, there's so many different things that you could talk about and there's people that agree and disagree with both of those things. But there's one thing that, you know what, has come through this that I've noticed and, and you'll notice it. And I mean, a lot of folks do as, as they just, again, turn to social media is that people's awareness and not even so much cattlemen, but the everyday retailer, the everyday consumer's awareness of where they get their product from. It's been phenomenal. I've seen small packing houses, you know, just locally start to market the meat that they produce and that, you know what, folks are going there and that's where they're buying their beef. Now that's where they're buying their bacon. That's where they're buying their, their roasts and their chucks at. And it's utterly phenomenal because we're, we're really starting to paint that picture of farm to table. And when people are able to do that and they're able to see the story and to see the importance of the industry and that it's not just a package of meat that, that you know, like you don't know its story, you don't know where it's from, what have you, it, it, it rings home with people and it resonates and people start to respect it more because they feel like they, they, they know about it. For the moment, the main thing that producers can do is stay on top of information. But COVID-19 has created a fire hose of news that can feel impossible to stay on top of. Shaley says for producers, there's one piece of information that's most critical to track. We have got to watch how packing plants are processing right now. You've got to monitor the backlog of cattle that is getting built up and how our, our and how our market's currentness is, is dwindling. We're not current anymore. We've got cattle backed up. And, uh, and unfortunately, even if President Trump is able to open up the plants again, there can't be a bullish surge in prices because guess what? We've realistically a month worth of cattle to process before we can even think about becoming current. And so right now it's going to be very critical that folks watch the market, watch packing plants and watch how they start to work through those that backlog of cattle because unfortunately it's really affecting in, uh, in all industries, beef, pork and, and chicken. Shaley's other piece of advice for producers right now, find something that gives you hope, that gives you something to fight for. It was, I was on a call the other day and it was actually a nutrition call, but um, it, it ended up being more of a heartfelt conversation between cattlemen. And there was like 100 people on this Zoom meeting, and it was utterly phenomenal. And uh, the, the the meeting host knew that one of the gentlemen, he was in his upper 70s. So, I mean, he's he's seen a lot of he's seen a lot of cattle markets within his day. And, and basically his story was that within the last year, he was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And you know what, he came on the meeting, he was loud, he was proud. And when the meeting host asked his outlook on the market, he did not waste any time saying, you know what, this is just a bump in the road. I'm not gonna let the coronavirus and I'm not gonna let cancer steal my passion and my ability to, to, to work and perform and to live within this industry. Because you know what, I've got more things to do and this will not be the end of me, my business or, or my livestock. I'm going to continue to do what I love. I'm going to continue to have my passion and I'm going to continue to thrive because you know what, that's where my mindset is. I could get nervous, I could panic, I could freak out like, you know what, we've all gone through the emotions of doing, but you know what, that's not gonna help me that's not going to help my family. And it sure is. And it sure as heck not going to help my business because you know what? I need to have my wits about me. And that's what really matters in these times. So I know that was a long way of answering your question, but to be quite honest, I think right now it's very, 
it's a hard time, Sarah, because we have to balance emotions. We have to balance news. We have to balance finances. There's a lot to manage. But I think the more that we can focus on quit worrying about the here and now and the headlines that you necessarily hear right in today and, and more so think about your business and your operation and remember that your assets are assets liabilities. You might have to get more creative in how you market your stock, but you know what? You still have stock. And so take that for what it is. We're, we really focus on our attitude and our encouragement and, and, our, and our projectory for the future. I know that things aren't ideal right now. And you know what? We feel it as much as anybody. It's expensive and it's, it's worrisome. But you know what? Like that gentleman said who had cancer, if you want to be a part of this game, quit thinking, quit focusing, quit pondering on all the negativity. How are you bettering yourself? How are you making sure you're going to continue to have skin in the game? And so that's where our mindset goes is, you know what? As we wade through these waters and as we get different, it seems like landmines thrown up in our face every day at, at some point, you know, our job is to say, how are we going to endure this? How are we going to continue to have skin in the game? And how are we going to continue to, to live this life? This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Shaylee Stewart. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Monk, with support by Kylie Swanson and Marie Annexted. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, why not share this show with someone you know? Be sure to check back next week for a new episode of Field Post. But until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode was brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to increase your weather tracking capabilities? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports more targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical application and irrigation. In the past, users have had to utilize a weather station that was miles away. But now, farmers are raving about how easy it is to utilize weather-specific data right in their own backyard. While using DTN's weather station, farmers have been able to successfully allocate their resources, boost their yield potential, and reduce risks and costs associated with their fields. If you are looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.